Welcome to the Broadcast Dialogue podcast, the show all about the media industry in Canada. Welcome to Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. I'm Connie Teeson. This episode brought to you by CBS News Radio Connect. Connect Select offers stations a selection of interesting stories to rip and read before they go viral. Learn more at MomentumMediaNetworks.com. There are five crucial questions to every story. It's a scam. Who's at risk? No one's going to stop me. What lies beneath? It's understood everybody gets a cut. When will justice be done? We were forced into it. Kevin Newman is the latest broadcaster to announce a move into the podcast space. Arguably one of the most successful broadcasters Canada has ever produced, Newman revealed last week he's stepping away from CTV's flagship investigative program W5 to host Attention Control, a new podcast for iHeartRadio that will focus on technology and democracy. On this episode of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, we talked to Newman about his pivot to podcasting, the impact of technology on the coming federal election, and the future of news. This is Kevin Newman, um, formerly from CTV News, but now exploring the great world of podcasting. You say formerly, but you'll still be a contributor to the network, right? Yeah, mostly through this podcast. Um, I've decided to go from sort of being a broadcaster to being a narrowcaster because this whole intersection of democracy and technology has me really interested. And it's it's not something that's received a lot of traditional coverage because it hasn't been as big a threat to a democracy as, as it's showing itself to be. So, so yeah, that's uh, I, I will still appear on CTV National News occasionally, but just talking about this particular part of uh, the election campaign to come. When a move like this happens, the first question people ask is, was this your decision, Kevin, or was this a network decision? No, this really was, honest truth, 100% my decision. I went to them uh, in January with a, uh, you know, I've had some medical limitations on my ability to travel, and W5 was such a travel-heavy show for a good part of the year that it wasn't helping me heal. So I, I, I went to them and I just said, look, um, I love this show. Um, thank you for letting me do it, but I just, I'm not physically capable of doing it anymore. So that began a conversation of, you know, making sure that we had enough time to transition W5. And then, um, you know, I, I was able to uh, look around and say, well, I, I, I still have things I want to do and say, I just have to, you know, have my feet planted on the ground for it. So, so this podcasting opportunity came up and uh, it kind of intrigued me. I want to ask you about reaction to your move, because when Anna Maria Tremonti announced that she was leaving The Current for CBC Podcasts earlier this year, there was also this air of really genuine surprise. Do you think there's still kind of an elitism attached to traditional broadcasting in that the rise of podcasting is still thought of as this little emerging fad by some people? I think it depends on how old you are. I mean, I have a 29-year-old daughter, and it's the only media she consumes. So I, I've been aware of that. I know Anna Maria has. We had a little conversation uh, uh, about this. What it is for people of our stage, anyway, of broadcasting is it's a new kind of intimate conversation that allows us to be more ourselves, that really doesn't have any time limits, and is um, much more narrowly focused, generally, than than what we've done. So 
Yeah, I think I think there might be some surprise, like, you know, why would you give up the current? Why would you give up W5? But, you know, there's, you know, I know Anna Maria did the current for like 17 years of having to get up at three in the morning. When you tell people that, <laughs> they go, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. We never really thought you were a real person that had to like endure endure the show and that was that was very much sort of my thinking as well but coupled with I really wanted to explore the audio world and just how smart and intimate and revealing podcasting has become and um, there's a reason that it's exploding and it's because it's good. Few Canadian broadcasters have reached the level of success that you have both in Canada and the U.S. and had such a varied list of assignments over the years has it come to a point for you where you feel like you've done everything you wanted to accomplish on the terrestrial side yeah i mean i sort of lost to be honest i sort of lost ambition over the last little while and just tried to enjoy the work itself as you say i've had some great purchase and i've worked at all three canadian networks a couple of them twice worked at ABC, I've done long form, I've done breaking news, I've done a national newscast. I've, I've, you know, there wasn't that. And so I wouldn't say it's ambition that has led me to um, podcasting. It is more, um, you know, returning to what I really love about what we do. And that is, you know, storytelling, explaining, and um, kind of shaking off all the other stuff that, that comes with being in network broadcasting. For example, I'm, I can sit down and have a conversation with somebody, you know, over the smallest little machine when I've been used my whole career to like having to set up lights, having to travel. So that part of it, I'm really interested in exploring because it's, there's a purity to it. And, you know, podcasting isn't overly produced. It's, it's a very pure form of conversation and journalism. So um, I think what's drawn me to it isn't sort of uh, necessarily that I was, you know, what can I do next? It was more that at this stage of my life and at this stage of my career, you know, what can I do that feels the most meaningful and um, and doesn't require the physical uh, and emotional stress of, of being on a major platform. So what can we expect from your podcast for iHeartRadio? Well, it's uh, we're just in the middle of an at a troll meeting right now, actually. What we're going to be is the only place uh, where you can go where you can hear a conversation and an analysis and investigation into this emerging space between technology and, um, and democracy. I mean, we've seen what's happened in the United States. If you've watched Netflix this month, The Great Hack is a great documentary about the Cambridge Analytica scandal. We have a sense that we're being played by forces that we don't necessarily know and can identify and understand. So what we're going to try to do is try to explain that and and give people an appreciation of how important their data is to political parties, to foreign governments, in trying to control their attention. And um, it's, it's an area that, frankly, it's... It, it, it bothers me. I just feel that we're heading into an election campaign where the ability to try to manipulate is much more sophisticated. I mean, political parties have always tried to manipulate, but this time it's not just the parties, it's third parties, it's foreign governments, it could potentially be corporations in other countries, it could be actors that we don't even understand or know or, underst- or, or have a sense of. And that's, 
an unsettling feeling. So I'm hoping that what we can do is shed a bit of light in an area of our democratic process uh, that hasn't had a lot of light on it lately. And you mentioned that you don't think this has been given its due coverage-wise. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, typically we we fall into formats and templates that say, you know, what the party leaders say is important. But I don't know about you, but I'm experiencing a lot of my political coverage on my phone. And there is, I've just noticed it in the past week, the amount of partisan memes, um, the amount of Twitter activity has skyrocketed. So some of that's the political parties, some of that isn't. So who else is trying to control our attention? Who else is trying to influence our election campaign and is trying to remain hidden? And that's not a kind of story that can be easily covered on, you know, national news or even a a show as accomplished as W5. It is the kind of thing I think that podcast lends itself well to. So you spoke about consuming a lot of election coverage on your phone. This is going to be, I think, an interesting election because we've had such a full-fledged shift onto digital media maybe than we did in the last federal election. Yeah, I think what we saw last time, you know, there were a lot of digital campaigns. The Liberals ran a very sophisticated one using the kind of data that we didn't know they, they, they had on Canadians. The Conservatives had shown themselves through their systems to be, you know, uh, as good as that. But then what we saw happen in the United States was, you know, other people started using systems and people's personal data to uh, impact the election. They proved that they can work. And so from 2016 with the election of Trump, what we've seen now is that because people have seen that this kind of, you know, attention controlling behavior works, there are, it's, it's become viral. There are now, well, who knows how many, but many other actors out there are going to be trying to manipulate truth, manipulate images maybe. And, you know, uh, that is new since our last election in 2015. Um, The degree and the breadth of people who are going to be trying to um, disengage the electorate or just sort of undermine our belief in what's true, underline our belief in journalism, in the political parties, um, all of that is new. And that, to me, as a journalist now going on 40 years, is honestly, to me, the most important story of this coming election. There will be lots of talks of platforms and things, but what I'm curious about is who, who's trying to play us? You know, who's trying to, who, who's trying to screw around with our election? And, um, you know, let's, let's see if we can find out. I want to ask you about what podcasts you're listening to, but this, this also might be a good time to ask you if you have any bold predictions for the future of news as we're awash in, you know, sort of this digital maelstrom. To be honest, I hadn't listened to a lot of podcasts uh, in my old life. I've been listening to a lot of them this summer just because I have to learn to, you know, speak in a different way. And um, I have to understand the audience is a very different audience than, than people that I have spoken to before. You know, the average age of a podcaster is 29. The average age of a national news viewer tends to be in their 60s. I'm hoping that the topic we're discussing is something of interest to all ages. As far as the future of network news, I mean, it's it's still going pretty strong, i got to say. Um, you know, Lisa Laflamme's uh, national newscast gets over a million viewers every night at 11. And 
I don't know about you, but, you know, there's so much information out there that I still think that there is a place of honor and a place of importance for someone at the end of the day to sort of correlate everything and say, we know that you're getting swamped, but here's our path through all that. So I, I think the national newscasts are still as relevant. Um, you know, they don't maybe have the same advertising support that they once did, but, you know, I think that's that's good. But I, I think what we're seeing with podcasting is uh, a better uh, reflection of conversations of context. So the kind of conversations that I can have in a podcast can go as long as I'm interested. Um, they can be deeper because it's a smaller audience, and we can we can play around with context in a way that isn't always possible when you only have a 30-minute national newscast. So I, I see it all complementing each other. The truth is there are many more people dialed into the news flow now than there were five years ago. So, you know, news is dying. It's under some stress financially. It is under some stress from people who are trying to make sure that people don't know the difference between what's true and what's manufactured and what's distortion. But there are lots of people listening to the news, that's for sure. Do you think we're going to see more broadcasters of your caliber move into the digital space? I don't know. I mean, Anna Maria is one. I've done it. You know, but I think, you know, inevitably, whatever the digital space is, I mean, yeah, there may be more. But um, I think for both of us, it's been the attraction of a new, more intimate, uh, narrow casting which is something that neither of us have done in our careers. We've been broadcasters. And intellectually, I think that's an interesting place for you to toil um, when, you know, you're, you're getting on in years and you're a little bit tired. And, and, it's, and it's rich and it's rewarding. And so, I don't know, there's, there's a lot of podcasts right now. They're very hot. There may be a shakedown coming. There may be too many podcasts. What our hope is is that we'll be able to, you know, be a good one, um, that we will be investigative. We've got three investigative reporters that are working on ours and um, that we will be able to provide a public service during the campaign for people who are interested on how the parties, third-party actors, foreign governments are using the data um, that we usually unwittingly hand them every day. So when can we look for your podcast? We're going to be dropping it uh, on iHeart, Apple, Spotify, ctvnews.ca uh, over the long weekend, the September long weekend. And then uh, once a week, maybe more, we'll be dropping it uh, during the election campaign as we track what kinds of things happen, what issues are raised, and um, whether or not the disinformation campaign is as profound in Canada as we've seen it uh, in many other countries. And will it continue beyond that? Right now, we're just going to do it during the election. Uh, We have funding from um, McGill University to allow that. If it catches and if it's successful and people think it provided a service, then we'd like to continue it maybe during the U.S. election cycle and and take a look at what's happening in the States from a perspective that is not deeply embedded inside America. Anything you want to add, Kevin? No, I thank you very much for your interest. And, uh, you know, I hope uh, I, I hope people will, will listen and I am genuinely excited for the kinds of conversations I'm going to be able to have. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You can follow the Attention Control Podcast on Twitter at ATTCTRLPod. For Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast, I'm Connie Teeson. Thanks for listening to Broadcast Dialogue. 
For more information about the podcast or to receive exclusive access to our weekly briefing about the Canadian media industry, visit us at broadcastdialogue.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, connect with us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter and SoundCloud. I'm Jeff Woods, and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world, and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.